0: Good morning church, so good to see you and if you're joining us online, we're so glad that you have decided to join us. who in here and who at home has ever tried out for something in your life? Maybe you tried out for a sports team, or maybe for a part in a play, or on the choir. Anybody just, come on, come on, this is good, this is good, okay, good. I know who I'm talking to now. So many of you have been through this, right? So uh, my freshman year of high school, I played a lot of sports, okay? And so uh, in middle school, I didn't play for the basketball team at Miami Middle School, but at Wayne High School, I decided I wanted to play. See, I, I had... Played like growing up and we, you know, if you ever came to Wayndell Park when I was a kid, like you, we, we ran that park, okay, Dale Park, like if you wanted to play there, you came through us, okay, it was serious stuff, uh, so I decided I wanted to try out for the basketball team. So, you know, if you've ever been uh, at, at, a, at a tryout, you know that the, the coaches will give you some instructions, they'll tell you some things that you need to do, some drills, and they'll watch you. Uh, maybe you do some scrimmages and they'll watch you and uh, they're evaluating you, whether or not you would be good enough to be on the team, right? And so uh, I go through that and uh, after the tryouts is a is a point in uh, in your life where if you've been through this, it's just a really difficult time of waiting because they'll they'll tell you when they're gonna post it. Hopefully if they're somewhat organized as a coach, they'll tell you when they're gonna post the team, right? And and this is the thing. Like if you've ever tried out, you know that they're gonna post a list. And what's the list going to have? You so have a list of Names, right? Just like you came into church today, and you had to figure out if you're here. You, know, you had to figure out where you're going to sit. So you tried to find your name, right? So in Wayne High School, you go into the main entrance. If you've never been there, I'm going to give you a little bit of a, uh, a rundown of it. But you turn right, and uh, as you're going down that hallway to go to the main classrooms, there's a bulletin board, and that bulletin board was the spot that the coach was going to post the list. And I remember, and I'm sure you remember, like those feelings in your in your stomach. As you're going up to the, to the bulletin board To see if you made the team right? And, and the question you're wrestling with As you're walking up to that list Is was I good enough Am I good enough to be on the team Did, did I do enough of the stuff To make it And uh, so you get up, go up to the list And I'm looking I'm scanning right? What am I looking for I'm looking for my name And there it is Made the freshman basketball team At Wayne High School you know, hooping, hooping. I played a total of like a minute a game uh, throughout the year. It was awesome, right? So if you want to play some one-on-one, I'll take you up on it. You'll probably beat me. It's fine. Uh, but the, the question, how good is good enough? That was the question I was wrestling with, and that's the question we're going to kick off the series with, you asked for it. Because what we did, right, we sent out a, a text and an email and whatever uh, to all of you, and if you get those, you had the opportunity to ask a question. That you'd be curious about what related to faith and life and the Bible or, or God in general. Like what do you want to know about? And there was a bunch of questions that boiled down together. Was basically how good is good enough? And that's a really important question because it's related to heaven. See most people in America whether you're Christian or not. They believe and we believe in heaven. A place that you would go when you die. A good place. So how good is is good enough how good is good enough now that kind of the underlying assumption there uh, of that question is that good people go to heaven how good is good enough the underlying assumption is good people go to heaven good people go to heaven and that sounds like really good actually don't you think like if, if heaven is a good place don't you want good people to be there like otherwise it wouldn't be a good place right if you had a bunch of bad people there it wouldn't work out right it seems to be fair like if you do good things in your life, you get to go to heaven. If you do bad things in your life, you don't get to go to heaven. You get to go to this other place that, that um, a lot less Americans believe in. and It's called hell. And so good people go to heaven. That's a really good idea. It makes sense, logically. But then if you start to evaluate it, you start to sit with it, and you start to ask the question, well, what does that mean? Good people go to heaven. What does that mean? Well, then you start to ask the question, according to Who? Good according to what? Like then you start asking the question, what is good? Like really, like if you had to answer the question, what would you say? Ask your kids that when you get home, you know? Parents, you're at at home. Ask your kids, what is good? Listening, right? That's probably one of the things they say. But what is good? Like, is it good? Is it good? Am I a good person if I only lie a little bit, right? Am Am I good if I don't murder someone? that makes sense right like we're all probably on the same page that's probably a good standard don't murder someone makes sense right uh what about like am i a good person if i'm in on the road right i'm driving and uh it's a moment where i could like let someone in in front of me and i do does that mean i'm a good person right am i good if i don't yell at someone am i good if i just if i smile at you while i'm ignoring you is that good Husbands, I'm sorry for that that bump that you just got in the side. <laughs> like, is it good? Like, what does that mean? Is, it, is that good? What is good? What's the standard of good? And then the other question is, okay, um, I knew in, in basketball that I needed to be gooder than most of the other kids in order to make the team. Right? I just knew that that was the standard. I needed to be gooder. You know, English is weird, so I have to use a different word, better, better. Uh, which doesn't make any sense, right? Good or gooder. It makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. Um, I needed to be gooder than most of the other kids for me to make the team, right? But like, think about this. In the grand scheme of like, who goes to heaven? Is this thing graded on a curve? Like, think about it. Like back in school, right? The teacher was feeling merciful. It was like, hey, this next test is to be graded on a curve. And they felt pretty good about this idea. But then you know, right? You know, unless you were the person... You thought of one person in that classroom who was going to mess it up for everybody else, right? Because they're going to get them all right. There ain't going to be no curve anymore. So like that begs a question, like if I'm good, but there's other people who are gooder than me, what does that mean? Right? Like, because then I, I start asking the question, well, like there's some people who are better than me, like, they, they maybe give more money to, uh, charities or churches or missions. Uh, they do that or, or maybe they devoted their whole life to helping people who are impoverished or, or downcast or outcast. Like, there's people who do better things than me, right? We could all, pro- like, this is the problem, Mother Teresa. Think about it. Like, if your level of goodness is like here, she's through the roof, right? And if this, if this thing is graded on a curve, that ain't gonna work out well for most of us. Right? So like, that's not good news. So is this thing, what does it mean to be good? Is this thing graded on a curve? Is, what, what are the rules like, right? Because you don't get a handbook when you get, uh, you know, to be an adult where you're like making good decisions or making bad decisions. You don't have like a handbook where like, this is, these are the things that will get you into heaven. Right? You don't have any of these things, right? Like, so what is good? I wonder what Jesus would say. I wonder what Jesus would say. So we're going to uh, jump into Scripture. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Uh, if you have a Bible, that's good. And it's a good idea to bring a Bible with you because you know, every time we come to church, we're going to open the Bible. It's a good idea, right? Uh, so I know I'll have some stuff up here or on the screen for those of you at home. Let's dig in. What would Jesus say is good enough to get into the kingdom of heaven? So this is what he says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 20, Matthew 5. He says this, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. I'll say it again. So he's talking, he's having this like what, what would be deemed as the greatest sermon ever. Jesus preached that sermon, Sermon on the Mount. He's preaching to a bunch of people. He says this for I tell you, unless your righteousness, your goodness, surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And this is a problem because the Pharisees and the scribes, they were pros at righteousness. The scribes, like you want to get like a good Bible reading plan or, you know, Bible habit, reading habit. The scribes, that's what they did. They read the Bible all day long. They knew the law. That's what they did. They wrote it down. They, they knew it. They taught it. That's what the scribes did. They were professional Bible knowers. So their righteousness. Was high. And then the Pharisees, I know that they usually get a bad rap, but in reality, uh they were righteous. They were the people, their whole livelihood, their whole job. Imagine this job description was to follow the law of Moses. That's what that's it. That's what they did. And the belief was if they followed the law of Moses perfectly, then they'd be able to tell the people what to do. Right? So you've got the people who were the professional Bible scholars people who knew it inside and out, and the professional Bible doers. And Jesus says, hey, you know those scribes, you know those Pharisees? Unless you're better than them, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And I'm sure all the people were as quiet as you are right now. And then Jesus goes on to make matters a little bit worse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. He says this to these people. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. So how good is good enough? Perfection. Perfection. You got to be perfect. Let me, let me just take a poll, right? I need you all to participate. Those of you at home, I need you to participate. Kids, tell me if your parents are not participating, Okay. Has anyone ever had a little white lie? Just a little one, just a little bitty one. And if you ain't having your hand up, you're doing it. <laughs> Anybody ever like got mad at someone and like just condemned them? You ever said a curse word, used the Lord's name in vain? You ever done a little thing, like maybe steal a little piece of candy when you're not supposed to? Right, like whatever, like have you ever sinned? I'd say I'm all messed up on the whole perfect scale. Ain't even close. Ain't even close. And you aren't either. So this doesn't sound very good. But I know you have some objections to this. But what about my good deeds? What about the good things that I do? Right? Like what about the things that I stack up? And I'm like, yep, that I was pretty awesome that day. Like, I know I just was, like, prideful just then that messed it up. But if I were humbly admitting, I think I did some good stuff, right? The Bible says something about your good deeds as well and mine. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Isaiah says this. All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. All of us wither like a leaf. And our iniquities carry us away like the wind. So sometimes in Bible translations, uh, the original language, when they're trying to translate that into English, they sometimes make it not as, uh, how should I call it, uh, not as severe as what the original translation would be. So, point in case, uh, case in point, that's the right way to say it, case in point. Um, all of us have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. That word, those, that phrase, polluted garment. Parents, I'm sorry, but this is straight from the Bible, okay? What the Hebrew is actually saying, all of us are, all of our good deeds, all of them, are like a minstrel rag. Or, contemporarily speaking, are like a dirty tampon. God, right? That's not, doesn't sound good. Doesn't sound like my good deeds are stacking up very well, right? Because you throw those away, I hope, right? I know, super awkward, super awkward, right? Brandon just said the word tampon in church, I know. (laughs) And some of y'all who are at home, you are so thankful you're at home right now (laughs) because you can be awkward in your own space, But that's what God is saying. Like the the good things like that, people would say, wow, that was amazing. People would write a book about those good things. Even that level of good, even the level of good stuff that people would write a book about you or, or say, wow, look at them. Look at what they did. You made the news in a good way. That was amazing. Even those are like a polluted garment to God. But then we have this other objection. It's like, well, my sin's not that bad. Like I've not murdered someone in the last week or so, right? Right? Like I've not, I'm not, I've not killed anyone. I've never like, I've not assaulted anyone lately. Like my sins aren't that bad. I've only like, you know, maybe lied a little bit or maybe had some lust in my heart or what, well, you know, like it's not that bad. It's not really affecting a lot of other people. It's not a big deal. Like, we have these games that we play in our, in our minds, in our hearts, with, with ourselves and with God. It's like, God, eh, it's not that bad. Right? But Romans 6.23 says this. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. You see, while we put, like, a degree of, of importance or a degree of severity on sin, God doesn't. Yes, different sins impact other people in different ways, right? Like obviously, murder is has a greater impact on other people than lying does, right? Yes, I hope so. I hope you would say yes to that. Uh, but God sees sin in the same way. He sees it differently, but the result, the wages that sin requires, are the same. Why? Because when we sin, we're not just sinning against other people, we're sinning against him. Every time we sin, we are basically saying, God, I don't care about you. I know what's best. Sin is founded in in an idolatrous heart. Every time we sin, it's a point of pride. Because we're saying, God, you're not on the throne. I am. Scoot over. Sit over there. Sit under me. That's what sin is. For the wages of sin is death. And that's the, the, really the, the crux of this question. How good is good enough? Whose standard really matters? Whose standard of goodness really matters? Is, is it mine? It Who's like, ah, they're, they're pretty good. You know, they're better than most people. It's fine. Or is it God's? And so, I, I don't know, like heaven, if we're talking about heaven, then, then who gets to decide who goes to heaven? God, right? You can participate. It's okay. Like, you know, it's fine. Um, these are not hard questions. Uh, God decides. So his standard of goodness is the one that we have to go with. And so far, not good, right? As far as the way we measure up. So far, not good. For the wages of sin is death. And we've seen this from Genesis all the way to Malachi before Jesus got here. Genesis, Adam and Eve. They had it easy, God said, no, don't do one thing. That's it. Just don't eat that fruit. Like, don't crave that. Come on, Eve. Don't crave that. Just one thing that you don't need to do. You're walking with God. It's fine. Like, this is good stuff. If ever there was a moment of fairness in life, it would have been then. Right? But then what happens? The serpent tempts Eve. She takes a bite. She she supersedes God. She undercuts him and his command to her. He says, no, no, I know better. Right? And so in that, uh, what God says is, hey, I'm going to bring about this curse but uh, I'm also going to bring someone who is going to crush your head, Satan, uh, and you're going bruise to his, bruise his heel. But last time I checked, the crushed, crushed head uh, wins against the bruised heel. Like if we were playing rock, paper, scissors kind of thing. Right? <laughs> that would make sense. So All the way through. So God raises up a nation. He actually calls a man named Abraham and his wife Sarah and says, Hey, I'm going to make you in a great nation. All the nations in the earth will be blessed by your offspring. Your, Your descendants will number the stars. It's going to be amazing. You're going to have so many people in your lineage. Right, And then, then God's people, they, they end up slaves in Egypt. And God delivers them out of Egypt and into the wilderness and eventually into the promised land. But while they're into the wilderness, God tells them, hey, you used to be slaves. Now you're my people. Now you're a nation that's set apart. And I'm going to give you the, the ways of in which to live. So the Ten Commandments and all the other commands that, that came after that really were not just a religious document. But it was something to show the Israelites how to be a nation. It'd be on the the level of our federal and state laws. This is what it looks like to do the right thing as my people, as my nation, Israel. And guess what? They messed up. Big surprise, right? They didn't keep it up. And all of the Old Testament writers from Genesis to Malachi saw in themselves that they needed a redeemer. They needed redemption. They needed God to move in a mighty way because without him doing something, they had no hope. In the law of Moses, they had established this, this uh, way of sacrifice because every time they sinned, they were supposed to take a sacrifice because what? For the wages of sin is, what is it church? For the wages of sin is death. That's right. So they sacrificed animals, but little did they know and, and they'll soon find out that that was just a, a, a shadow of what was to come because that was not going to cover over their sin. It wasn't sufficient. So for the wages of sin is death. And, and just to give you a little bit of an idea, just of a, of a curated list of what the Old Testament writers would have believed and what they came to find, came to believe is in Romans chapter three. This is not going to be on the screen. So this is where uh, it's very helpful. Uh, not there yet. Yep. Boom. Uh, so this is Paul curating a bunch of Old Testament verses and saying this is what Has been said. This is what our situation is as human beings. So, just listen to it. If you don't have the Bible with you, Uh, if you you don't, just bring one. You know, I might do this to you more. Um, As is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues vipers venom is under their lips their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood ruin and wretchedness are in their paths and the path of peace they have not known there is no fear of god before their eyes does that not describe the human race as we've known it from history to today and what it will be does that not describe what we know as our own experiences does that not describe you it describes me there was no one righteous, not even one earlier this week uh we were uh, working on our front landscaping, and Sarah was watering some of our flowers. We only have a few we're still working on it, okay, we're not on the level that the rest of our uh you know neighbors are on you know if this was a you know uh, curve thing, I would be losing right I would be losing my landscaping game is. Growing, but not much. So we were watering, watering flowers, and and Zeke and Xander have learned. Our twins, two years old. Uh, I pray for me. If you didn't know that I have twins, two years old, uh, y'all should just pray for me, okay? Uh, and Sarah, <laughs> but uh, they have learned how to turn the water spigot on, <laughs> right? So you know they're working with Sarah to to get the water in the little you know watering can thing, and uh, so the next day Sarah. Uh, and our neighbor, uh, our neighbor went up and, and said something to Sarah. She said, hey, by the way, uh, I don't know if you knew this. <laughs> I don't know if you were planning on this. Uh, but the, your water spigot on the side of the house um, has been on like all day. This is the next day, y'all. 20 hours of the water spigot being full blast. Zeke did that. Zeke did that. And, and we didn't go and check, right? And so like my whole side yard is flooded. Just crazy, right? It's just insane. <laughs> so here's, here's, what, here's what I think about Zeke did a thing, right? That bill is going to be much higher than it normally is. Amen? Yeah, yeah. Does Zeke need to pay it? Yeah. That's just, right? He did it. Can he? Can he pay it? Not really. Like if he had a job, I'd be like losing my kids to CPS, right? <laughs> so he needs to pay it. He owes it, but he can't. It's going to be too much for him to be able to make enough money in his childhood to pay for this bill, right? Guess who's going to pay it? Me. So, the wrong that he did is going to be paid for by someone else. Do you see the connection? He needed to pay it. He owes it. He did it. But he can't pay it. If he tried to pay it, I know this, this illustration breaks down at some point because eventually, hopefully, he's going to get a job, right? I'm force him, kick him out of the house. He's going to go out, right? So eventually he would be able to pay it. But he'd be in debt for a while. In the same way. The reality of our sin. The wage of sin is death. We would have to pay on that thing. Death. For eternity in order to pay for the sin that we have sinned against the holy God. Or. Maybe there's another option. And some of you have been uncomfortable this whole time because normally the preacher does not go on and on and on about the bad news before he gets to the good news. Romans chapter three, verse 21 says this. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction. For all have sinned And fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. So that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. So in this, we have a huge problem. But because when Jesus said, hey, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect, he looked at us and said, you can't do it. You won't do it. You have no ability to do it. And that's why he came. And that's why he came. It was to take on his perfection. So this here's a theological word. I want you all to say it with me. It's, the word is impute. So let's do that together. Impute. Let's do it again, impute. Okay, hopefully at home you guys are following along, okay? Uh, so what God has done through Jesus, Jesus lived a perfect life and then he went to the cross. He was able to keep all of the laws, all of the commandments. He was able to do it to perfection. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus did it. And on the cross, God's righteousness was revealed. Why? Because God dealt with our sin through his wrath and he dealt with his love through grace. So on the cross, on the cross, while Jesus was there, God dealt with our sin. Because why? Because Jesus took our sin off of us and put it on himself. And Jesus took his perfection off of himself and put it on you. He imputed that. So the sacrifice that was made, he paid the debt. He's got the wages of, 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 he's able to pay the wages of sin. He's able to pay for it. That's why he had to die. So on the cross, your sin was dealt with, was paid for. And Jesus imputed his righteousness or his perfection to you. What does that mean? That means Jesus took his perfection, And credit it to you. So when you die. And you are there before God. If you are in Jesus Christ. If you follow him. You surrender to him. It will be. He will treat you as if you never sinned. Why? Because what is the standard? It's God's standard. What is his standard? Perfection. What was Jesus? He was perfect. What are you? Not. That's why he paid for your sin. And then he imputed his righteousness. His perfection to you. This is a good deal, y'all. This is a really good deal. This is really good news. Because when we had no hope, Jesus saw us and said, hey, I've got the perfection that you need. I'm going to give it to you. And because he is eternal, because he is infinite, he's able to cover an infinite amount of sin and to give an infinite amount of perfection to you. That's good news, friends. This is a good spot to say amen. So, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. The interesting thing about that statement is that is very, very, very specific. What he's saying, no one can come to the Father except through him. What's the Father? God, the Father. No one can come to God uh, except through Jesus. He's the only way. But, the interesting thing is, according to Pew Research's 2014 Religious Landscape Study, 66% of American Christians, not just Americans... 66% of American Christians say many religions lead to eternal life. When Jesus himself says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one can come to the Father except through me. Here's the reality, friends. Jesus is the only way. There is no other religion that offers the ability to deal with our sin and to give us grace that we don't deserve. There's no other religion that blends both mercy and grace where God gave us mercy, he didn't give us what we deserve. And he gave us grace, he gave, gave us what we don't deserve. Eternal life. There is no other religion out there that will be able to make those claims. Why? Because they can't count for it. I was having a conversation with a, a, a homeless man at a homeless shelter. He was a Muslim. Uh, and I remember having this conversation because uh, we were having like a deep one. He's a student of the Bible. He reads about Jesus. He loves Jesus. He, he loves to, to learn from Jesus. He was good with Jesus. And this is how a lot of people in America and in the world are. They good with Jesus. But they don't always go with what he says. Right? A lot of people, if you're watching at home, you're good with Jesus, a lot of you. But you just don't like the Christians. Right? Just don't like his followers. A lot of you have been there. Right? You've been hurt by people who claim to be followers of Jesus. And you're like, I like Jesus, but I don't know about those other people. But the thing is. Jesus is the only one who makes a way for us to experience life eternal. He's the only one who, who deals with our wretchedness and gives us perfection. He's the only one. He's the only way. It's only through him. You can't come to God through anyone except for Jesus. And for some reason, a lot of us don't believe that. When Jesus was explicit. My conversation with this homeless man. So like... uh he he loved to read the Bible. He was a student of it. Um, but, you know, the way he saw it, and this was, you know, maybe just like his view on the uh, theology of Islam, right? Because I'm not going to act like I know all of the intricacies. Uh, but I've read the, from the Quran and, and did some stuff. So, like, I understand a little bit. Um, so, according to him, like, he's going to do as much good stuff as he can. Because at the end, it's going to be like you it out for the basketball team and you got to go to the bulletin board and see if you're on the list. Like, I hope so. I hope I did enough good stuff. Hopefully God have mercy on me. That's why some strands of Islam, right? Uh, jihadists will say like, hey, I gotta kill the infidel. and give my life for God, for Allah. And they do that because they believe that that's a surefire way to experience paradise. Right? Otherwise, you're left to your own kind of thing. Hopefully, Allah will feel good about you today. Like if you die on the bad day, like on a on a on an off day of Allah, like maybe He'll just smite you and it won't be good. But maybe you'll get mercy. That was his belief, and I just I kept telling, no, this is what Jesus did. This is why this is why this is so significant. This is why Jesus said the things that He said. He's not just a prophet. By the way, Islam looks at Jesus in a very positive light. They believe Him to be a prophet, but Jesus was more than a prophet. Jesus was more than a prophet. And for some reason, he didn't see it. And so maybe there's some of you today or, or on on online who you y- you've heard about Jesus. Maybe you've gone to church for a while, but it just hasn't clicked. Because for some reason, we fall into the trap of believing that our good deeds measure up. That we have to have Jesus' sacrifice and our good stuff. For some reason, some of us start to believe, like, oh, oh, I messed up. Oh, man. Jesus, please shower me with some more grace. I need some more. Because I messed up. The reality is, is Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient. It's the only thing that's sufficient. And the reason we do good deeds as followers of Jesus is because we're from a place of salvation, not for salvation. Let me say that again. We don't do good deeds for salvation, we do good deeds from salvation. The only way that you can live the life that God is calling you to live is if you are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And the only way you can be indwelled by the Holy Spirit is if you surrender to Jesus. Here's the reality of what God gives us through Jesus. We we have a holistic hope. We have justification, so spiritual justification. That means that when we go before God, we are right with him. We are good with him. We are justified. We're not going to be condemned. We also get to experience reconciliation because God, through Jesus Takes us, Jesus takes us from enemies of God to being children of God. So we have a relational impact of this hope that we have. Relationally, we have our relationship restored and transformed with the one who matters the most. And that also impacts the people, the relationships we have around us. Because Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And also, because of when we follow Jesus and we surrender to him, he indwells us by the Holy Spirit and gives us regeneration. In other words, he, he starts to transform us. Our minds are open to what God would have. where A light bulb goes on, and we are regenerated. We are transformed and renewed. And the Holy Spirit, as he is indwelling us, he starts a process called sanctification, and this is where this holistic hope is so good because we are not Christians just for heaven. We are Christians for today, to make an impact today, to make a difference today. Because Jesus, the Holy, the Holy Spirit, because Jesus has sent him, the Holy Spirit is starting to change us from the inside out. Our wills are changed. Our minds are changed. The way we look at things are changed. The way we look at people are changed. Our actions change. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit working in us. So we have a holistic hope in Jesus and in order for us to respond, because the question naturally is, okay, if how good is good enough, well, perfection is good enough, uh, well, then I don't measure up, but Jesus does, so through him I can measure up. Why? Because he is perfect, and he has made a way for me to have a relationship with my heavenly father. The question is, how do I surrender to him? I want some of that, right? I want some of that. So the way we do that is holistically. The scripture breaks this down, and it's a beautiful response to God's gift of salvation. I don't know if you ever thought about it in this way, but let me just go through some scriptures. Uh, the scriptures call us to have belief, faith. Let me read it. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. It is by grace you have been saved through, what is that word, church? Faith. Faith. What is faith? It's belief, but it's not just belief. It is a orientation of our mental capacity, yes, in belief. It is also an orientation of our will, actively surrendering to Jesus. So faith is not just belief, but it's also allegiance. What is allegiance? That is a full devotion to what Jesus has done. So when you surrender to Jesus in faith, you are not just saying, I believe in Jesus. I believe in him. I believe the dude lived. I believe the dude died. I believe the dude resurrected from the dead. I believe that. It's not just that. It's devoting your whole life. Say, I surrender to you. It's allegiance to Jesus. So we got mental. We got our will. Repentance. Acts 3.19 says this, therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. What does repent mean? It means that I've been walking this way and Jesus is calling me back here and I realize that this path is not working out. So I'm going to turn back to him and I'm going to go toward Jesus. And it's, a, it's, a com, it's just a constant effort of saying, you know what, I, because my allegiance is with Jesus, because I want to adore him and worship him, I'm repenting from my own selfish, sinful tendencies, and I'm going toward him by his power. And then, so that's our will, actively turning our will over to him. Also, confession. This is what Scripture says in uh, Romans ten nine. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's physical, right? It's confessing Jesus, your Lord. I'm not. You are in charge. I'm not. So so far we've got this mental, willful, physical kind of surrender to. Jesus, But then there's this also other physical thing that's passive. So these other things, we're active, we're doing them, we're responding to God actively. And then there's this passive thing that we get to have done to us as uh, physical bodies. Acts 2.38 says this, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in baptism, we are, we are passively surrendering to someone else, taking us down to the waters, To having our old life being done away with to die to that old self and we are being raised up to join Jesus in his life, in new life. So this holistic hope comes with a holistic surrender. It's not just for your your you know head knowledge, this is for everything. And Jesus gives us this opportunity to participate in this beautiful response to his grace. So the question is who goes to heaven? Who goes to heaven? How good is good enough? Do good people go to heaven? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. I could say it this way too Good people don't go to heaven because good people don't exist. Bad people go to heaven. Bad people who have been forgiven. Because all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, all of us have fallen short. We're all bad on that standard. I knew, for me, I knew I wouldn't measure up to this whole thing of perfection. I knew that God was so far holier than me. I knew that I had to have a deliverer, a redeemer, to bridge the gap of what I've messed up so that I could have a right relationship with God. And I'm sure many of you in this room and online, many of you have made that decision. You said, hey, Jesus, I surrender to you. You are my hope. I've got nothing to offer. Except for my life, devoted To you. That's all we've got. And so the hope is that. Through Jesus we have. Eternal hope. So good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Church let me. Get it in your bones. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. You need. One to stand in the gap. For you. And I pray and hope. That that is Jesus for you. So if you have not made that decision, I'd love to talk to you. Uh, you can reach out to me online or or just as you're passing by, we can talk and exchange the numbers. You can call us on at the office. Uh, you can get in touch with us. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to surrender to Jesus in this holistic, surrendered response to him and his grace. Church, this is good news. Just by the way, all of the New Testament, most all of it was written to Christians. So all the things that we've been looking at, you've heard it before. But guess what? You still need to be encouraged in it because there's a little bit glimmer of you inside of there that says, oh, I got to do better. And God does want you to do better, but not to earn his favor. Jesus has said, I've done it. I've accomplished it. That's it. Church, would you stand? We're going to pray and then we're going to sing out to our awesome God. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for delivering us and for making a way for all of us to have hope in you. God, I pray that uh, for a lot of us, I pray that this, uh, just this good news of your grace in the face of the bad news of our sin would break down the barriers that maybe we have had on our hearts that have made us believe that even though we've surrendered to you, We still need to try and earn your favor. God, please break those down, break those lies down and help us to live out your grace and mercy. God, for for some of us, I pray that if if there's someone who has been in the hearing of my voice, uh, who has not surrendered to you, who has not given their life over to you, pledged allegiance to you in faith and repented of their sins and confessed to you as king and gone gone down in the waters of baptism. I pray that that person, whoever that is, maybe maybe more than one, would, would respond to you, would start a conversation. God, because this is so important, thank you so much for making a way for us bad people to have hope for eternity with you because of what your son has done. We love you, Lord, we praise you. And I pray that this uh, time of worship and praise to you and song would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.